it again tonight. And I want to ask you just a simple question. How is your filter? How is your filter? And um, I'm not talking about Snapchat filters. Um, that's, That's just sad, you know. Just be yourself. You don't need no filters on your pictures. Just be yourself. Be nice and... But, uh, but how is your filter? And so in, in, in doing that, I want to take you to the book of Jeremiah chapter 17. And I want to read you a little bit and then we're going to uh, go into this subject about the filter that God has given us. Jeremiah chapter 17. I think I'm reading in, in this one from the King James, I believe. Uh, but it goes like this. Are you ready? It says, The sin of Judah is written with the pen of iron and with the point of diamond. It's graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. And while the children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills, O my mountains in the field, I will give thy substance and all thy treasures to the spoil and thy high places for sin throughout all thy borders. And thou even thyself shall discontinue from thine heritage that I gave you, and I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not, for you have kindled a fire in mine anger which shall burn forever." So remember, Jeremiah, he was one of those that, that tended to uh, uh, give prophetic utterances to what the, the children of Israel were going to find themselves in. Mainly, they were going to find themselves into captivity. That the children of Israel, because of their uh, uh, walking away from God and not following the, the precepts and the commandments of God, they're, they're, they're going to serve an enemy in a land that they did not know. So, so we start in that prophetic voice, but then he changes Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, and a salt land, and not inhabited. And then the flip. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. And this is very similar to the opening of the book of Psalms. For he shall be planted as a tree. Or he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river, shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the time of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And so the Bible goes on to tell us about where you put your trust in and and, and what you're uh, leaning on. And then verse 9 goes here. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. I don't necessarily need to see your hand, but has your heart ever lied to you before? If you have been a teenager dating, you can raise your hand on that, because I will tell you, your heart will lie to you. But uh, yes, our, our heart, it's deceitful above all things. It's, it, it goes back to Romans chapter 7 and Paul's inter, internal conflict between good and evil, right and wrong, what God says versus what his heart tries to get him to do. Who can know it? And then here's the answer. There's only one that truly knows the heart, and it's in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Now, I could take a moment, and I could walk down a path. I could tell you that... uh, where, where, where a man's heart is, that's where his treasure is, that's where his, his desire is, that's what he, he, he tends to, to, to consume his thoughts on, wherever his heart is. That the heart, it, it, it tends to lead us. There's many times in the Bible, and we'll get there in a moment, but, you, you know, they, 
they didn't have the anatomy lessons that you and I have, although it's interesting how much they get right, even though their own doctors didn't know it. But, but uh, we can use heart and mind interchangeably. We can use heart and will interchangeably. There's something inside of us that tends to uh, direct the steps that we are. And we've got to get to the place where we say, Lord, you've got to check my heart. I've still got, it's been, you know, a few Sundays since I've I, I, I preached on a Sunday morning because of Youth Week. And then, of course, this week coming up will be Brother Emery, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but we still got some more uh, pillars uh, of the faith that we want to go through. And one of those that we're going to go through is, is the, the, the pillar of holiness. And, and I believe in holiness. The Bible says, be holy. Why? Because God is holy. And holiness is one of those essential fundamental characteristics of God. And of all the things that God is, He's omniscient, He's omnipresent, He's, he's all-knowing, he, he's, he, he's, he's holy, He's merciful, He's just. Out of all of those, there's, there's pretty much only one, maybe two things that you and I as humans, we have those same attributes. And that is first, we can have the attribute of love. The Bible says God is love, and I believe that it has been given to you and I, uh, especially when we have God inside of us, that we can show forth that same love which is why we can fulfill that very hard commandment, which is love thine enemy as thyself. Because as you know, pastor doesn't necessarily want to love his enemy. What do I say? I'd rather punch him in the face. But there is a God who is gracious. And, and because of that. But the second thing is, is that God says, be ye Holy, And so that's one of the principles that God uh, wants to instill in you. It's one of the, the things that he wants you to become is holy. But here's the thing. Holiness is not what is only shows up on the visible spectrum of your life. And I know that in our, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to not preach about holiness right now. I've got something else I want to go. But just let, let, me, let me make this point across is that for too many times we equate holiness as the outward appearance. And, and while there's truth to that and while I believe it needs to show up on the outside, it starts in the heart. Being a Christian is not the fruits alone. It starts in the heart. Everything about you starts in the heart. In the, in the quiet times, in the, in, in the night times, in the dark times, in the places where nobody can see, we would call it character. It's who you are when nobody's looking. It's who you are when you're, you're not on the, the, the spiritual clock per se. It's, it's who you are on Monday morning that you'll be judged in, not necessarily how high you shout on Sunday night. It starts in the heart. And so it is that the Lord searches the heart and he, he gives to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings, which is why one day we will stand before the judgment throne of God and, and we will all be judged not on a curve. How many of you like curve grades in class? Those of you that didn't raise your hands, is probably because you're the ones that always got the hundreds and you didn't like that. But when you weren't one of those that got the I love the grade, the curve. But God's not going to grade on the curve. He's not going to look at 2018 and say, you know what, that world is a pretty bad world, so I'm going to lower the bar. Instead, he says, no, I'm going to judge every man on their heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, we act. Out of the abundance of the heart, we do. And so it will be the fact that when you get to heaven, before he judges your actions, he's going to judge your heart. Now, you can have the actions without the heart. That's called hypocrisy. You can read it much in the Bible. In fact, probably the best example of that are the Pharisees. They were pretty whitewashed sepulchers. But inside, they were full of dead men's bones. So I will tell you, it is absolutely possible to, to show some actions, but your heart not be right. But I will tell you right now, it is absolutely impossible for your heart to be right that it does not manifest itself in proper actions. So start with the heart. And the Lord says he tries it. He looks at it and he, he sees it. And he uses this phrase, the Lord, I try the reins. The reins is not the liquid precipitation that falls from the sky and causes, you know, puddles. It's not the strips of leather in which you would guide a horse, but instead it's to, uh, uh, the reins. It comes from, from two words, depending on where it's found in the scriptures. One would be the Hebrew word kilyal, which means the kidney or figuratively the mind. In the Greek, it's nephros. It's used metaphorically of the will and of the affections. They would say that your feelings and your emotions had their seat in your kidney. I remember going to, to, to Bible college. Brother Littles was my professor. And he would say that, that um, you know, when, when, we, when we sing all these, whether it's a love song or whether we're singing a worship song, and we talk about, you know, I love you with all my heart, and you, you, you gaze deep into your, your spouse's eyes, and you say, I love you with all my heart. In, in the, the Bible, they would have said, I love you with all my kidney. I love, yeah, exactly. I love you with all my kidney. And then, and then sometimes they would say, I love you with all my bowels. You know, and so can, can you imagine the beautiful uh, Valentine's Day card that you could get? I love you with all my bowels. My bowels gush forth with love towards you. And I could get myself in a lot of trouble right there. My wife just hung her head. So, so it is that the Bible uses at least seven times these, this reference to this obscure word, reigns. It comes there, if you will. There's a Latin word that, that's, that's rene or renes, which is where we would get the English word renal, the renal system. Let me read you a few of these verses. Let me go through them, and then one of these verses we're going to come back for the, the major portion of, of the sermon tonight. Psalm 16, and so if you want to turn there, we're going to come back to this. So I think it would be good for you to have it already open there in your Bible. But let's look at some of the verses that, that utilizes these, these words. The, uh, it's Psalms chapter 16 and, and verse 7. We'll start there, and it says this. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. He, because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall also rest in hope. We'll come back to that. But did you catch it? It says, my reins, my kidneys instruct me in the night season. He says in Psalms chapter 26, uh, uh, verse 1, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I will not slide. Examine me, O Lord, 
Prove me, try my reins, try my kidneys and my heart. Jeremiah 11 and 20. But, O Lord of hosts, that judgest righteously, thou that triest the reins, you try the rain, the kidneys and thy heart. Let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I revealed my cause. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart, I try the reins. Jeremiah 20, 12. But, O Lord of hosts, thou triest the righteous, you see the reins in the heart. So over and over, you, you have this... Uh, uh, kidney reference that talks about something, why would the Lord so choose to use kidneys when it comes to uh, what it says? And here's the thing, and I'm going to kind of pull from the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases because I kind of forgot my high school a little bit. But those kidneys, most of you have two kidneys. They're located kind of there at the lower uh, rear of your back, each about the size of your fist. They're very sophisticated processing machines. In fact, every day, the average person's kidneys will filter or process 200 quarts of blood. In doing so, they will extract about two quarts of waste products and extra water. The waste and the water become urine that flow out. And then some of them, uh, it also pulls out uh, uh, excess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like, like not chemicals, but you know, it, it, can, it can get the vitamins out and, and, and it can get the, the different things you need. And through the chemical balance, if you need more, it will put more back in. If not, then it, it goes out. Inside your kidney are these little things called nephrons. They're tiny blood vessels. And, and they receive that waste and those chemicals. Chemicals, here's what I was looking for. Chemicals like sodium and phosphorus and potassium. And, and if your body needs it, it will release them back into the bloodstream. If not, it will flush them away and thus it, it regulates your body. It also has ways of hormone uh, that will help stimulate the bone marrow or it will help regulate your blood pressure or it will help maintain the calcium. And so your kidneys are vital. In fact, any of you that have ever had to go through uh, uh, perhaps someone that, that is, is, is dying or someone that is on hospice, one of the things they use to determine a, a, a person and, and how they're progressing is they'll say, what's their kidney function? The kidney function, if you have two healthy kidneys, then the, the average person ought to be able to run on about 100% of their kidney and functions. In fact, you can have a small decline. You can lose about 30% of your kidney function, and, and, and I would say that most of us would never even notice it. In fact, there's some people, I think uh, my wife's dad was one of them that only was born with one kidney, and, or he had one taken out. So he lived for one kidney, and so you can do that as well. But when those kidneys begin to reduce their function, serious health problems begin to occur when you drop below that 25%. When a kidney function drops below 10 or 15%, then they're going to need some sort of renal replacement therapy. They're going to need dialysis, which is a blood cleansing treatment where they use a chemical, I mean a, 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 a mechanical kidney if you will, a pump and a filter that will help filter your blood or you'll need a, a kidney transplant. Your, your, your kidneys are filters of your body. If you do a lot of drugs, legal or not, it's hard on your kidneys because it has to filter those out. If you 
get your, 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 if you don't drink a lot of water and you get all of your, your life out of balance, it's hard on your kidneys because it has to filter. Filters are a necessary part of so many things. How many of you know that on your car there's an oil filter? Those of you that have not raised your hand, please go check that. You might need to. There's air filters. In fact, I saw Brother Ron, I think I saw him here in a minute. You'd be glad to know your, your, your employee came on time. He was here. He replaced all the filters in the church. And so I'm sure after all the drywall dust that we sanded, it was about time to replace those filters. Uh, uh, you, you have water filters. You have pond. My, my dad has a pond, a, a koi pond, a goldfish pond, and he's got it there. You've got filters on vacuums, and those filters are there for a reason. Number one, they filter out anything that shouldn't. Our air filters, uh, uh, they, they try to capture the dust and all of the particles that would float and clog the air to give you cleaner air to breathe. Filters are good. For the most time, we don't even think about filters. We don't, we don't think about what we need to do, but let a filter get clogged. And then all of a sudden, you need it. I've, I've uh, had a few uh, uh, motorcycles in my life, and I remember buying one when I first became pastor here, an old, I think it was a 1982 Honda Magna, and uh, I got it for next to nothing, and they tried to start it, and I could hear it, and I... I thought I acted like I knew what I was doing. Really, inside I was praying and saying, "Hope I was right," and I didn't make a bad decision. But I took that motorcycle I bought for a couple hundred dollars. I went straight home, and Dwayne helped me. We pulled it all apart. I pulled the gas filter out. I I, I dumped over the, the the gas tank and dumped all that nasty varnish gas out. We cleaned it all up, put new fuel filters on, cleaned the carburetors where they were clogged, and it ran perfectly. And I was able to sell it for a whole lot more than I paid for it. I've, I've watched, uh, we had a house in Toledo, and uh, Toledo, for whatever reason, a lot of the, the older houses, none of them had basements, and so our house in Toledo was built up on a crawl space. We had uh, kind of a, a block foundation, and there was about two or three feet all the way under the house that you could, you could be, and what was interesting about Toledo, especially where we were, is back in the Ice Age, I guess, that was where all the glaciers deposited the sand. And so underneath our house, it was sand finer than any beach you could ever imagine. Well, we bought the house. It was the first house I have ever owned, and uh, it got cold in Toledo. And that first uh, time that it happened, I woke up absolutely freezing. The heater was out, and I just knew we were going to have to go spend a lot of money. And so I didn't even know where the heater was. It was underneath in that crawl space. And so I put on my, my, my big old Carhartt coveralls, and I crawled under the, 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 the crawl space. I really didn't know what I was doing, Brother Ron. I just kind of was going to just stare at something in hopes it changed. And if not, I brought a hammer to beat on the side of it. Well, what does every guy do? I saw one button. I pushed the button, and it started. I said, well, okay, awesome. So I went back inside, and as the days progressed, it would go off, and I'd walk down there, crawl under there, push that button. Finally, someone tell me, said, what button are you pushing? I said, I don't know. I just know when I push it, it turns on, but it don't last very long. Well, it was a thermal protection switch. If the, if the heater unit got too hot, it turned off. It flipped that switch. And by the time I would crawl under there and, and push that switch, it had cooled down enough, and it would work. And someone asked me, said, Brandon, have you ever changed your filter? My reply what filter?
And so I realized I hadn't changed the filter, and the filter was so clogged with that fine dust that it couldn't breathe enough. It couldn't get the airflow in to, to regulate it. And so uh, uh, I had, I've had issues with air filters that were clogged. You need a filter. And it was that the psalmist said several times, and Jeremiah said several times, says, prove me. Try my reins or try my kidneys. I'm I'm pretty confident that the writer of these texts did not mean, you know, go 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 figure out if your kidneys are working. I, I remember when Brienne, when when Zane was when, when Brienne was expecting Zane and and uh, we thought Zane was coming. It ended up Brienne had a kidney infection, but we went to the doctor and uh the doctor came in. It was late at night. We're thinking, you know, there's a kid coming any moment. She's in a lot of pain. And the doctor walked in. Most horrible bedside presence I've ever seen in my life. Doctor came in, balled up his fist, hit her in the side. She screamed. He said, oh, yep, you've got a kidney infection. And, huh? Well, hit you in the back. Yes, where your kidney is. Said, uh, well, I can tell by your scream you have a kidney infection that might result in your death. And my, that's exactly what he said. You might, you might die. And then he walked out. Thanks. Thanks, Doc. But, but I can't tell you that, that this verse doesn't mean that God wants to ball up his fist and hit you in the kidney and, you know, see if it pains or see if it hurts. But what he's literally saying is, does your filter work. In each of these cases, as I've said earlier, the kidneys, that was the what, what the Hebrews and the Greek, they said that's where the inner being of man lay. It's the seat of your emotions. It's the seat of your conscience. Sister Audrey told me that this morning or tonight before church that she doesn't listen to her conscience. I said, stay with me. I got a sermon for you. No, she was up there. I grabbed the mic, tested it, and she heard me through here. And I said, it's your conscience. And she said, I don't listen to my conscience. So listen very carefully, Sister Audrey. It's right here. This, this is for you, all right? But no, it's your conscience. It's, it's, it's if you will, here, here's what the, the psalmist was saying. Here's what Jeremiah was saying. Jeremiah was saying, Lord, try my inward parts and see if my filters are working. When you examine my heart, when you examine my internal part, Am I clean or have I begun to build up impurities that will affect my life? Could it be that we don't give enough thought to our conscience? We don't give enough thought to the filters that God has given me. And as I've, I've tried to put for the last little bit in the, in the, in the natural world, if you will, a, a filter can work and work and it will seem to be okay because everything's working, but in reality it's working harder than it should. And there's a lot of times they'll tell you that, that if you don't regularly maintain your filters, you're actually doing damage to the things that it's, it's there for. If you don't change your oil filter, your car may still run, but it's done damage that will uh, maybe never be, it never go back to being normal. And then eventually a filter gets so bad that it just stops working. Your conscience is the same thing. And so I'd like to bring back to... Uh, to Psalms chapter 16, verse 7 through 11, and I want to read it again, and then I want to take it a little bit slower through that. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My reins or my conscience or my filter 
has instructed me in the night seasons. I've set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. You're not going to leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You'll show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's two things that I, I see mentioned that David said that his reins, his kidneys, his conscience, his filter does. Number one, it works even during the night times. They begin to look. It's I, I'm, I'm going to try to put it like this. And, and I'm going to read from, I think it's a, 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 a theologian named Russo, if I might. But the soul articulates itself in conscience, which gives wiser counsel regarding duty than any other court you might have. It is that in the sense of God, you can't rid yourselves of your conscience. God has placed that conscience in you. It's, it, you see it all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. There was nobody there to tell them he had, they had done wrong. But when the Lord is walking in the cool of the garden in the evening, they can't, he can't find, if you will, he can't find Adam and Eve. They're hiding, and God makes a statement, who told you you were wrong? Well, it's the word of God, yes, but it was that conscience that was inside of them. In fact, Rousseau said this, Keep your life such as would lead you to desire that there should be a just God and you will have no doubt of his existence. He even goes so far to say that in the vital instinct which predicts immortality, Infidelity would be impossible if men would take counsel of their own reins. For in the silent depths of your soul, the echoes of God's voice are always sounding. This is why I believe it's Romans. I think it's Romans chapter 1. I apologize if that's not right. But it talks about that, that men, they know there is a God even if there's no religion. That even if there's no Bible, even if there's no uh, doctrine classes, man has no excuse to say there is no God. Why? Because there is a conscience inside of them. The conscience, again, if, as I quote from Rousseau, he said, in the silent depths of the soul, the echoes of God's voice are always sounding. It's why your conscience speaks louder at night. Again, I don't need you to raise your hand, but, but just walk with me for a moment, if you will. As the day and the, the, the busyness of the day begins to fade away, as you tuck yourself into bed at night and your mind just kind of begins to slowly shut down, your conscience begins to speak. Another person said it this way. It says that the soul expands towards the infinite when the narrow arena of earthly competitions disappears just as the stars show themselves when darkness has blotted out the scenes of the earth. Have any of you ever taken a trip or you've been somewhere and the farther away from the busyness of the city you get at night, the brighter the Milky Way begins to appear? I remember one of the coolest experiences I had uh, was able to, I, I was fishing, we, we did a, Brother Keith and I, we, we did a, uh, we went down to uh, Stockton Lake, we camped, and uh, we, we, it was 
April, there was nobody around, and one night we're on the dock and we're fishing for crappie. I mean, we have absolutely no lights other than the moon, and that was the first time with my unaided eye I saw the uh, space station pass over because there was no light of this world to interfere with the lights of heaven, if you will. And so it is that the best interpreter of the conscience is the Word of God. It's, it's why your conscience will never go against what the Word of God says. In fact, the Word of God will prick your conscience. The Word of God will, will, will cause your conscience to speak louder. It's, your conscience is wanting to talk to you. It's why the Bible says, David said, My rains instruct me in the night seasons. When all else fades, when I'm not going crazy with this world and, and, and the jangling of life, my conscience begins to speak. One poet, I think his name was Francis Quarles in 1644, said this, and he was kind of quoting God, if you will. God would have said, I that alone am infinite can try. How deep within thine heart doth lie. Thy semen's plummet can but reach the ground. But I find that which thy heart itself has never found. We could do everything we want in the natural. But we can't see the depth that our God sees of our heart. And he gave us a filter. He said in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. There are two, I've learned this in life, and, and I wish I was smart enough to have come up with it, but I'm not. But there are two consciences that we have. One of the conscience is a conscience that is birthed out of emergency. And another conscience is birthed out of experience. The former is an instinctive consciousness, the emergency, but the experience matures more slowly. If you're on a boat and dry, you know, floating and sailing in the ocean and the boat strikes a rock and begins to sink and the, then all of a sudden your conscience, your conviction if you will, the conviction of danger and possible destruction will at once take place and everything will, 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 will spring into motion and that's why there's a lot of people whose conscience awakens on their deathbed. I'm not opposed to a deathbed conscience. I'm not opposed to a deathbed confession or a deathbed uh, 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 salvation, but I will tell you, if you're not careful, you can allow your filter to get so clogged that when that emergency happens and that conscience tries to kick in, it's not going to be enough in the time of emergency. What you and I need more than anything is a conscience of experience. I have set the Lord always before me. One person said, the conviction of a man's worth must come by experience, must wait long for its maturity. Belief is not conviction, it's only the germ, it's only the seed, it's only the start of what it is. Conviction is faith and fruition, it takes time. And so it is that in order for your filter to be right, in order for your conscience to be sharp, you must put him always before you. The Lord said, the Lord is, well, well, well actually, let me, let, me, let me put it like this. David does not say, the Lord is always before me. The Lord does not say he's just there. 
David said, I set him before me. I'm convinced that the proper uh, function of our conscience, the proper function of our kidneys, the proper function of that filter, if you will, is only when you set God ever before you. So could it be that God will not be in the truest sense before you unless you set him there? Any, any Boy Scouts or, or, or people that's, that's had that, that like outdoor training, survival training, you, maybe, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe even some of you Girl Scouts, I don't know. Everybody knows what a compass does. You, for those sister, uh, those who, who makes fun the way I say compass. I'm gonna say it again. Everybody knows what a compass does, right? Compass. Everybody knows what a compass does. Try that compass. Now you know you got that compass and you open it up and that little bar it points north, right? <laughs> compass. Compass. Campus. The little thing that tells you where north is. Little spinny thing. Do you know you can make one of those with a needle and a leaf and a bucket of water or a little pool of water? You take you a leaf and you put it there on the water so the leaf floats. You take that needle, like a sewing needle, and you set it on there and nothing will happen. But if you'll take you another magnet, or some have even been able to do it with just simple friction, and you, you stroke that needle in one direction, and what you're doing is lining up all of the, the electrons and neurons. You're lining them up. If you'll do that, then that needle will be magnetically charged, and it will automatically want to swing to where magnetic north is. So it is in your life. It's like that bar of iron. The bar of iron, the bar of steel does not naturally point to the pole. This is Romans chapter 7 in a nutshell. Because of man's proclivity to sin because of the fall in the garden. Because man has now a fallen nature. Yes, we still have a God conscience. But because we have a fallen nature, there is something inside of us that doesn't just naturally want to swing to God. Romans 7, Paul, when I want to do good, I don't. But when you... Allow there to be some training, some determination, some practice. One person wrote it this way. There is a spiritual inertia that must be overcome and a perverse tendency that must be overcome. And it takes persistence. It takes training. David said, in order for my conscience to swing me toward the things of God, I must put him before me always. Many times the reason our filter doesn't work, the reason our conscience doesn't connect, the reason uh, uh, we tend to find ourselves in sinful situations is because there was no determination or practice of putting God before you and now you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So it is that you must put God always got to be even more than just the principle of, of I'll set no unclean thing before mine eyes. You can do that all you want. But you've got to learn to put God before you. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God 
with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. What's that mean? I will put him forever before me. I put him before. He doesn't just show up. He doesn't just just become there. He, he, it, it's not natural. Yeah, yeah, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. And, and I do believe there is a, a hunger for God. But the problem is in, in trying to find God that will fill the hole in us. We don't start with him. We don't naturally go to him. We start with other things. We'll fill it with a job. We'll fill it with a relationship. We'll fill it with drugs. We'll fill it with alcohol. We'll fill it with, with hobbies. We'll fill it with anything. But if you learn to put God first, then your conscience is there. And so it is that when a person has had kidney failure, they have to go in what's called dialysis. They have to go manually filter their blood through machines. Normally it's a process where they have to go somewhere, although they're starting to get some in-home dialysis that you can do overnight, so when you sleep, it does it, but many times you go to a place and they they hook it up and they, they literally let the blood run through the machine and back into your body and back out three to four hours at a time, three to four to five times a week. And they have to do it. Otherwise, those impurities build up and damage occurs and death comes. And, and if you talk to them, they would tell you, there's so much more I could be doing with my time, but my kidneys don't work. And so now I've got to go, I've got to go take three to four hours a day out of my life and just sit there and let this do it. They would look you in the eye and they would say, I would love to have a normal kidney that just does it 24 hours a day so I can do the things I want to do and go. But here's the correlation. God gave us a conscience that ought to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and 366 on leap years. But have you ever noticed someone who lets their conscience get seared and their filter get clogged and, 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 and it doesn't work? Now watch how much harder they have to work to get back right with God. God says, I gave you a conscience that if you'll just put me ever before you, watch how much easier life is rather than having to fix the damage that occurred. And go, which is why Psalms 101 says it so eloquently I will sing of the mercy and of judgment unto thee O Lord will I sing I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way oh when thou wilt come unto me I will walk within my house with a perfect heart I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes and I hate the work of them that turn aside it shall not cleave to me a froward heart shall depart from me I will not know a wicked person whoever slandereth his neighbor him I'll cut off. He that have a high look and a proud heart, I won't suffer. Mine eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, and they that dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he'll serve me. And he that worketh deceit shall not dwell in my house. And he that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. In a nutshell, this is a person who says, I don't want my filter to get clogged. 
I'll set no unclean thing before my eyes. I don't want to listen to those that slanders their neighbor. I don't want to listen to those that have prideful hearts. I don't want to listen to those that work deceit. I, I want to make sure that my conscience is there. It's the one who said it this way, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Would you stand today? It's your conscience. I can't, I can't uh, judge your filter as good as you can judge your filter. Now, I can see some of the, the results of a dirty filter or a clean filter. I, I, there, there's some actions I could see, but really only you know if you've put God before you. Only you know how your conscience begins to speak. And only you know if you listen. I can speak from experience. So again, I don't necessarily need you to say this is you, but I'm pretty confident each and every one of you have done this. You ever had your conscience literally almost scream at you? Don't do that. Don't think about that. Don't go there. Don't see that. Don't watch that. And then you tamp it down. It'll be okay. It's not really that bad. It's not, I, I can handle it. I, I can do that. And you have this internal struggle in your mind. And it gets to the place where you choose to ignore your conscience. And a clog. And the next time your conscience isn't quite as loud. And a clog. And the next time it's not quite as loud. To the Bible says we get to the place where we have a seared conscience. And you wonder, how in the world could I ever do this? Why don't I feel bad about it? It's because your filter's clogged. And you need to take that filter out. Drywall dust is awful for a filter. A lot of you guys, you were helping us in the bathroom remodel, and we'd vacuum up all that, had a big shop vac, nice shop vac, vacuum all that up, and and it'll do really good. I mean, it about sucked drywall from half the hallway away until it gets to the point where it hardly won't suck up anything. Then you open it up and that, that filter is clogged. And if you're cheap like me, you go outside and you beat the filter out in the, in the, the, uh, you know, in the dumpster and you try to get a little bit more life out of it. And I would say sometimes we need to take that filter out. We need to slap it a little bit. We need to get all of that loosened up and we need to say, God, let it flow like it should again. Let me hear your voice again. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. I, I wonder for just a moment, across this building, we could close our eyes and we could do a self-examination. Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Try me. Know my thoughts, Lord. See if there be anything unclean. See if there be anything impure. Lord, try my reins. Search me. I want my conscience to be clean. I want my conscience to be loud. I want, I want the voice of God within my heart to be able to speak loudly and I hear it. God, don't let my filter get clogged. In Jesus' name.